the gospel according to John. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Daniel Young, and I'm going to be starting off these New Testament studies. And I hope that whoever is listening really gains some some awesome insight as we're just going to go expository fashion, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, starting off with the gospel of John. Then we're going to go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, just a brief insight of who I am. My name is Daniel Young. Uh, I'm currently in the ordination process at Calvary Lighthouse United in South Florida, uh, specifically the town of Davie. It's been an absolute pleasure, and, and I'm just so infatuated with the fact of, of how the Lord just speaks to us through His Word in, in each incredible fashion of which He reaches out to us and, and the beauty in Scripture. and It's incredible, and I hope that you find it incredible as well. So, before we dive in, to chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's just a brief outline of of John before before we really dive in to get some context. So, John was the last gospel written and was written towards the close of the first century, the last gospel written out of the four, and was written for the intent of convincing people that Jesus is the Christ. That's why you often hear a believer say to a new believer or an unbeliever, hey, you should start off with the Gospel of John because of the intentionality that it was written towards. It is a very easy gospel to understand because it was written to people that didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah and that needed convincing of it. Very cool, which is, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It was also written to counteract a lot of the heresy in the first century, such as the Arian heresy, which was the belief that Jesus was God. They got the first part right. Amen. But that God the Father was around before Jesus and had created him later on. Which is, you know, scripture completely counteracts that. And we'll see that in the first chapter of John. In the very first the first five verses, we're, we're going to see that. Matthew begins with the genealogy through Abraham. Mark begins at Jesus' baptism. Luke begins with the announcement of John the Baptist. And John starts his gospel from before creation ever even occurred. What a beautiful thing. We get to see the aspects in which God shows four different aspects. All beautiful in themselves and just ties a perfect bow on it. So this this goes way way farther back than the rest of the gospels and and it's just a beautiful thing to hear about and just testifies to who Jesus is with that intentionality of showing the reader that hey he really is who he declares he is so without further ado chapter 1 let's go verses 1 through 5 first the word became flesh in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but uh, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So right off the bat, in verse one through five, John is shooting a very broad picture and a very bold statement, which is, Jesus is God. God didn't create him. The Father didn't create him. 
separately. They had been together since the beginning of time. And the another thing that further testifies to that is, you can look at this all the way back into Genesis, but the word, the Hebrew word used for God all the way back in Genesis was Elohim. Elohim in itself is not a singular term, but is a term of, um, what's the word? Goodness gracious. As uh, a plural form. That's what it is. Elohim is a plural form. And all of that just points to the intentionality that God is a Trinitarian God. He is a God that is vast. He is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Elohim. What a beautiful thing. So just picture that wherever you see God in, in, in the Gospel of John, especially back here. It is Elohim. And that is just an absolute beautiful thing. You know, some would say that Elohim was used for emphasis to emphasize the fact that God is God and he is big and he is powerful. But the fact is, is that if you didn't use Elohim and instead used uh, the singular form, which currently slipped in my mind for God, but it, the scriptures would not, we would, we wouldn't be able to understand and, and it would just, it would, it would be a mess. It just wouldn't make any sense. So without further ado, Verses 6, let's go verses 6 through, let's see here, 6 through 10. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that, given, that, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Oh, and I'll read verse 10 too. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. What a sad verse in verse 10. So John the Baptist was not the Christ, but was the forerunner who was going to express and deliver the message that the one who is to come was on his way. The sad thing about that, when you think about it, is the fact that we had just read that through Christ, all things were made. He was, in verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. His creation was made. We were made by him. Interesting how the waves know his name. The, the the wind knows his name. The rocks know his name. The demons even declare to know his name. But yet we don't. His own creation didn't know his name. And the only reason that God needed or used a forerunner in John the Baptist was because his own creation didn't know who he was. But, I mean, even the demons know him. Mean, what kind of a message is that? In itself. So John came to testify. The true light that gives to every man was coming into the world. What a beautiful thing. Thank you, John the Baptist, for doing that, man. No, what would we do without you? Lord would have found a way either way. His will cannot be stopped. Besides the point, not going to start preaching now. But, so John the Baptist was the forerunner. 
and we'll get into how John the Baptist correlates with Elijah and all of that cool stuff. But before we get there, let's continue on. Uh, Verses 11 through 14. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise him. Praise God. Verse 13. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. I love that nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To me, I, I believe in the complete and total sovereignty of God. I believe in the authority of Scripture, and I believe that God is sovereign over man's salvation, and I believe that He is mighty enough to achieve whatever He wants to achieve. And I, and I love nar of human decision. I think that's a beautiful thing that God chose us. We didn't choose Him, for we were unable to choose Him. But we'll get into that later, too. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory and the one, the only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ coming into the world was not simply putting on skin and bone and coming and dwelling with us. It was that, but there is more to it. To become flesh means to become vulnerable. He was, therefore, the ability for him to be pierced for us was now made fully comprehensible. The ability to be flogged for our sin was now able to happen because of what God had achieved in coming down in human form. But not only that... An interesting thought is that God is not held down by by time. He is timeless. He's both in and out of time. He is not bound by any means. He's infinite and he's infinitely good. But Christ putting on skin and bone and coming down to save us brought the infinite into finite. God himself came into time and that is a completely beautiful thought what a beautiful thing praise god that he does that for us verse 15 john testifies concerning him he cries out saying this is the one whom i've said he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God revealed himself through Moses. But, you know, God made provision in order for man to find a way to somewhat be clean. Through the sacrifices. And that's why Moses was brought forth strictly for the law. But the beautiful thing is, is that those sacrifices, those atonements were not atonements that were meant to last. Because could you think about this? 
You just atoned yesterday. And you fell into sin again. Oh, you need to go slaughter another lamb. How would that work? What a strenuous process. The atonements, and this is all designed, were not meant to last, but instead were meant to paint a picture of God's ultimate atonement that was to come. Wow, what a beautiful thing. That Christ's atonement is not an atonement that needs to keep reoccurring, but it is the one, the final, the atonement the the atonement of all atonements, the one, the only. Praise God that that's the case. I couldn't imagine having to atone for how sinful of a man that I am in every waking moment. Oh, ceremonial washing. I'm unclean. Need to go atone. All of that stuff. I couldn't imagine. Praise God. Praise God. Let's see here. So now we're going to get into the subchapter. Just my Bible uses these subchapters. So I'll just say them to help you out. Is uh, John the Baptist denies being the Christ. So verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and, and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail... The, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, they asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Verse 22, Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the ways for the Lord. Verse 24, now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? 26. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. Verse 27. He is the one who comes after me. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Verse 25. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So now we're just going to elaborate on that whole chapter. As we as we said, John is the forerunner. He is the one who is coming to testify on behalf of the Messiah to come. And interestingly enough, as you will hear and see throughout the scripture and as we go on these studies, that John is oftentimes compared to Elijah as he just was. And he says, I'm not Elijah. And you're like, but later on, Jesus says that he was Elijah. And, and we're going to get into all that stuff. But the reason that John declared here that he is not Elijah is because he is not the full fulfillment of Elijah. It's believed that, as we have seen in Scripture, Elijah was taken into heaven he did not die, you know, as we see in scripture, but that there is a first and a second coming of Elijah, who's going to make a forerunner both times. So therefore, John 
denying being Elijah was because he was not the full fulfillment of Elijah. So, with that being said, let's see here. John said in verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What a beautiful picture. Especially when you think about think about the times and the area of which this is being recorded in Jesus' ministry, actually, in John's ministry. Same time frame, they'll, co- they'll coincide. Was that John, just in these in these times, there wasn't sanitary bathrooms. There wasn't hand sanitizer. There wasn't super nice shampoo and and body wash and all of this stuff and face wash to get a nice clean shower but instead people's feet were disgusting as you would see you know i can only imagine just animal poop everywhere dust feces human feces i can only imagine this disgusting stuff in which feet would walk through, yet John declares that he is unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. What a beautiful thing. So, verse 29. Jesus, the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. What a beautiful thing. Just continuously declaring that Jesus is, in fact, God. He was before me. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that it might be he might be revealed to Israel. Side note, Christ came first to Israel and then would go on to the Gentiles, but we'll get into that later. Verse 32, Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen him and I testify that that this is the Son of God. John further testifying just that he declared of who Christ is. And we're just going to continuously see that. A beautiful thing. So, here we go. Verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, when, (laughs) sorry, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour for uh, back in these times. Jews typically started the day at 6 a.m. So let's see, the 10th hour, 6 a.m. So it's about 4 p.m. if my math is right. Hopefully that's the case. About 4 p.m. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did 
was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means when translated, Peter. So right here we see that they knew that Jesus was, he was something else. They're, they're immediately like, whoa, Jesus, you're, what's going on, man? Um, they knew that there was something else to him. They knew that there was something far greater than they can comprehend. And what a beautiful thing that is. And people will often ask the question is, um, you know, if Jesus is God, why does he ask questions and say, as in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? If Jesus is God, why would he say, what do you want? Well, in the same way, if my math teacher, when I was in first grade, was smarter than me, why would she ask me what two plus two is? In order to teach me and to reveal things to me. See, the, the questions that Jesus proposed, I believe, were not because he didn't know the answer, but because he was enabling the people asking the questions, enabling a conversation to go further so that he could teach them. What a beautiful thing that God takes the time to teach us. So, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to them, or he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I love we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. The whole Mosaic law is not about what can I do to be clean? I need to do this sacrifice during this time. I need to give this offering. I need to follow these laws and I'll be righteous before God. Thus the Pharisees were born. For the Ten Commandments were not created to be followed by the physical means. The Pharisees saw, oh, the Ten Commandments. Oh, well, I didn't murder, so I'm good. I didn't steal, so I'm good. I didn't commit adultery. I didn't sleep with another man's wife. I'm good. I'm clean. But you, on the other hand, you got some work to do. And they became arrogant and pompous. But the thing is, is that the Ten Commandments were not meant to be followed by physical means. Because we'll see once we get to Matthew that Jesus declares that... If you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And if you hate your brother, you might as well have murdered him. It's a spiritual means. It's a heart issue. The Pharisees, they had the physical down. But the Ten Commandments were not created so that all could stand before God and say, I'm righteous, but they were created so all would stand before God and go, Woe is me. Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah stands before the throne of God and he looks at himself and he says, Woe is me. Who even am I? The meekness of Isaiah. Realizing how sinful he is. 
how short he falls of the marker. And that is something called poverty in spirit, which we'll get to in Matthew. But it's just a beautiful thing that, you know, it says that Moses, Moses spoke about him in the law. And I, I just absolutely love that. Let me find, well, after my spiel, where we left off here. Let's see here. I'm just going to start at verse. Oh, there we go. All right. Verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Verse 48. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Not going to lie. <laughs> oh, man. Nathaniel, if I was Nathaniel, I'd have been freaked out. But, yo, man, I, I can't. I can't hang. I can't do it. But yet it provokes the complete opposite response. Because then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi... You are the Son of God, and you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you. I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that, he added. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Woo! What a promise. <laughs> Another promise. And in verse forty or verse fifty one holds so much context. Because another place where you see the angels ascending and descending is when Jacob runs away after he's done his stuff with Esau. He's running from God and Jesus essentially relating it back to that scripture is saying that he is the one who ties together heaven and earth. He's the one who is going to turn our sin and make us clean and, and bring us forth to have fellowship with him. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, that we were created was for fellowship with him. And what a beautiful thing that is. So he, and I mean, Nathaniel's like, bro, you saw me under the fig tree? I mean, come on. You're definitely the king of Israel. <laughs> I love Jesus. I think he's just having a good time. And I think he's I think he's I think he's gotta have a sense of humor. I saw you are under the fig tree, Philip. <laughs> you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. You're gonna see me. Bring forth and take away your sin so that you can have fellowship with the Father. Man, that's just a beautiful thing. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Shall we conclude? Chapter 1. Thank you for uh, tuning in. For whoever's listening, I, I pray that these help you out. And uh, I pray that you just soak in the word and dive in and 
and let God do something in your heart that's never been done before. He's always doing something new. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to see in verse 51. We're going to see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending. We're going to see God tie us to the Father. No more separation. He's accomplished it. Let's live in that truth. Shall we pray? Lord, for every listener, whether it's one to a million, let us honor you. And let your word change our hearts. Thank you for your absolute grace in every waking moment of our lives. Pray we all have a great week. And I pray for wisdom in any decisions people have to make. And I pray for grace in the areas in which we fall short in. Let your name be glorified. And we lift all of this up to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.